Would you now please open your Bibles to the book of First Samuel. Today we are in chapter 18 and we will look at the entire chapter as the material on which the sermon and teaching is based. Today we're looking at Saul's demise and David's rise. And they happen to be happening at the same time. And this will go on for a number of chapters until Saul eventually dies. Hear now the word of the Lord as I read from 1 Samuel chapter 18. Now this is right after David's um, glorious victory and Israel's victory over Goliath. And it sort of continues the conversation of verse 58. So I'm going to start there in 1 Samuel 17. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands. And David his ten thousands, and Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Actually, that verse is an explanation of the entire chapter. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, here's my eldest daughter, daughter, Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hands be against him, but let the hands of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, who am I? 
And who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at that time, or at the time when Mirab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Mihal, that is as it is in Hebrew, Mihal, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke these words in the ears of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires uh, no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Mihal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Mihal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, I do pray today that as we look at your word, we'll see it as in a mirror. It will reflect back to us a lot about ourselves, that the Holy Spirit will take this word and work in us lots of different things, Uh, maybe repentance and contrition over our own failings, or maybe wisdom in learning how to deal with difficult relationships, or perhaps new insight as to how David is such a striking and uh, significant type of our Lord Jesus Christ. However you want to bring this to bear upon our souls, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be a work among us, and this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is complicated and even though in this chapter David is on the rise and Saul is beginning to taste his demise there is still for all the good going on for David the most powerful man in the known world wants him dead when I was a little boy and this has nothing to do the two necessarily but listen carefully as a little boy my grandfather used to call us every Thursday night He would call and talk to my mom, never talk to my dad, but he always wanted to talk to his three grandsons, and we hated it. 
we absolutely hated it. And the reason we hated it is not because we didn't love our grandfather. We did love our grandfather. For a little boy, he was one of the coolest guys because he drove a big, huge gas truck, and he would let us ride in the, in the cab with him, and we would play on the back of the truck and climb up and down the top of it and play war and whatever. I mean, we were thrilled to have him as our grandfather, and he was a very loving and kind man, but when he got on the telephone, he mumbled something awful. And so he would start talking to any of us, and all we would say when silence came was, yes, sir, yes, sir. If he asked me if I shot John F. Kennedy, I would have said, yes, sir, because I couldn't understand him. And it put you under a lot of pressure, and that's why you didn't want to be on the phone. Plus, my two brothers were making faces at me and doing everything they could. So long story short, one day, I said to him is, how are you doing, Papa? So I said, how are you doing, Papa? So eventually, I handed off the phone to my brother, younger brother. And my dad looked at me and knew that, he'll tell you. <laughs> and so there's bad in their lives. There's always a fly in the ointment if you want to, uh, uh, things going on in our lives. And sometimes really bad things going on in our lives. And a job, then her husband dies and she's left to raise the kids alone. With eating disorders and cutting herself. Grandparents who rejoice and grieve over the ones who don't. Life is complicated and confined to that reality. We do not live in a perfect world. We are, things don't work out. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. They are not. Injustice. So what do we do? Well, we see something in this text that I told Yahweh was with David not with Saul. Saul had forfeited the and now Saul was left to himself and his craziness and in replace of Jing in the life of Saul. But Yahweh was extremely reassuring. When you think about the presence of God, uh, most of you are of God. That is, God is present, omni, all places, everywhere. God's being is present in every point of space. You know, God doesn't learn, is everywhere. And that's sort of the general theological understanding by presence. That is where God has said to a people, I will be your God. In that is God's heart of being present with his people, of dwelling with his people, us. He is a with us kind of God. Hold your finger in first. I know a lot of your own phones. You don't hear that anymore. Not much. But notice in Isaiah 43, Yahweh, or the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear name. You are mine. That's what it means to have a covenant relationship with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I will you because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, for I am with you. Stop there. Listen, was really making time and getting great. And then I got into Exodus, and that was really good. Tabernacles and Numbers, too. But the wonderful theme that I noticed in, in the book of Genesis was Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or Joseph, 
the key signature. What does it mean to say the Lord is with you? He's our king. He's our lover. He is the one. See that standing out in the life of a person like David. Even though the most powerful wanted him dead, God was with him. Oh, very loved in this passage and yet hated by the most powerful man. And the face clears up, your mind gets fuzzy, okay? That's how life is. Hey, I'm at the place where the mind's getting fuzzy, not the face clearing up. But let's look at more so than any other place as David begins his rise as the Now, it is a little grievous to me, and it should be to you, and in David's relationship was much more than just a kinship and a, a dip with a man kind of like a brother. Some have suggest, uh, suggested there was no evidence of any of that. And if you studied the word love, my dog, but I also love my wife, hopefully my love for my wife means something different. I love Mozart, or I love jazz, or I like blues music, or I love between them. There was a covenant made between them. And you look at Jonathan, and he hands, over, hands all of that over to David recognizing him as the true together. And so Jonathan, who is probably the best character, Yahweh is with him. And so we see initially, and so as we look at this chapter more closely, we'll see that, with, but the wonderful thing about this chapter is this, uh, that is language. And he's the rightful heir to the throne. He's the one who should be on the throne. And now he's got a heart. Your sins are forgiven. You have the righteousness of Christ as your clothing. And they are in constant pursuit of you. But remember, you are deep. Saul's traveling through the towns to get back to where he lives in Gibeah. And Saul saw that. He was undone. He couldn't be continuing success. He was promoted in the Israelite army and then uh, been singing uh, a song, the song of Moses. In Judges, we have another place where many interpreters of this passage have pointed out something very important. Bunch. For example, Psalm 91.7 says, A thousand may fall at your side, and the fruit of the, my body for the sin of my soul. Thus, in light of the literary convention, and he was filled, filled with jealousy. You ever been envious of some glasses that I have on physically? But there's a way we see spiritually. And it's like a person and their motives through the lenses of their own jealousy. It's between one of these two things. Man, that guy should sit down and let me preach. I know how to, what he's doing wrong. Pastor Tim, do you really do that? Yes, I do. I'm one who Saul had to get rid of. And so the rest of what we're going to hear about Saul are his. But he wanted David dead. And so that means he was raging and raving like a lunatic. And give static or unusual behavior, which led him to a frenzied state. And Saul twice attempts to be a spear chucker and nail David to the wall. Now, David seems totally unaware that this man is out to get him. I mean, just as paranoid and intense as Saul's hatred and desire to rid himself of this golden boy, David is 
so unaware. I don't know if he just said, well, he's having a bad day. Whoop, step out of one spear. And then he said, well, maybe I'll play this song on the lyre, and that'll calm him down. Another one comes flying by, and he plays another song, and the man seems to calm down. I don't know. But it didn't kill him. He wasn't a very good spear thrower, I guess. But that's what's going on. So Saul continues to plot David's demise. But rather than killing him, he decides to have the Philistines do it, and so he sends him out to battle. And he does three of these things. Listen carefully, three of them. And we'll talk to them back to back. Um, Saul intends to have the Philistines kill him in battle. To that end, he appoints David as a commander over thousands. But the tactic backfires as David enjoys continued success and Israel grows in their love and appreciation. of Everything Saul does to level this guy only escalates his rise. Because Saul ain't dealing with David, he's dealing with God. The book of Romans tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? But the book of Samuel tells us if God is against us, it doesn't matter who's for you. It doesn't matter. And Saul is gradually falling apart. But he still has a few things up his sleeve. In order to keep David in harm's way, he offers his oldest daughter, Merab, to David. Now remember this. When David killed Goliath, the skinny at the time was, whoever does this is going to get the king's daughter and will become part of the king's family, the son-in-law to the king, and he will pay no taxes and he'll be a free person. Well, there's David in the court. He's done it. He gets nothing. So Saul decides, well, you know, for uh, publicity purposes, reputation purposes, I'll offer Merab conditioned on David's continuing fight against the Philistines. When the date was set for the marriage, Saul instead gave Merab to another man. The incident emphasizes Saul's lack of integrity. First of all, marrying the king's daughter was supposed to be part of the reward for slaying Goliath, and yet Saul added another condition before he would allow it. Second, even when David fulfilled his obligations, Saul went back on his word and gave David's fiance away to another man. But then Saul cooked up another scheme. When Saul learned that his young daughter, Michal, loved David, she was in love with David, he took the same tack again and attempted to put David in harm's way, perhaps due to his reneging on the last marriage offer. Saul now sends word to David through the intermediaries informing David uh, of the offer. And David again replies in humility that he's a poor man, likely an allusion to Saul's failure to deliver the reward for killing Goliath. And after all, the stated reward, which David confirmed three times, was the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give his daughter in marriage, and he will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David has not received great wealth at this point. Taking the reward as stated, it might appear that the giving of wealth was to precede the giving in marriage. Saul's servants report David's words to him, that Saul does not address David's allusion to the lack of promised rewards. Instead, David, Saul interpreted David's remark to mean 
uh, he couldn't afford to pay the price for the bride, which was required in the ancient Near East, for that to occur as a dowry. Saul magnanimously accedes to a bride price to 100 Philistine foreskins. That's a bit macabre, isn't it? 100 foreskins? I mean, I know these people were uncircumcised, but come on. So David goes out, and what does he do? He brings him 200. Saul for sure thought this is it for him. He's done. I finally nailed this guy. But he didn't nail this guy at all. He comes back. I guess he pours them out on the floor before David. Says, there they are. David is now married to Michal, or Michal. And David was now king, or the king's son-in-law. And this caused Saul to fear David even more. Wouldn't it cause you to fear him? Everything I try to do to put this guy down, everything I try to do to rub him out, it comes back upon me fourfold, tenfold. And this guy is rising in popularity, rising in popularity. Amazing. But the amazing thing is the people were loving David even more, and he was becoming famous and hard to deal with. Which leads us to application of this particular text, to our lives. If God is for us, who can really be against us? Romans 8.31 tells us that that truth is clearly demonstrated in the life of David. Clearly for David, he is Yahweh's choice. He's the one after Yahweh's own heart. God is clearly for David. Yahweh's commitment to David is seen in the many references of his being present with David. Furthermore, God's presence with David gets results. First, due to God's being with him, David was successful in whatever he undertook. Second, David is loved by all Israel and Judah, including the king's own children, Jonathan and Michal. Third, each of Saul's actions against David in which he intended for evil became opportunities for David. The king's attempt to get David killed in battle by making a military commander results in greater military success. Which leads me to a verse that all of you are quite familiar with. Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that God works together for good all things to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That verse does not say God causes all good things to happen to you. What that verse does say is God takes everything, good and bad. The good things in your life right now are intended by God to conform you to the most beautiful person in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they are there. And that's why they are painful and difficult and hard. We all have bad stuff that if we had it within our power, we'd get rid of it right now. Stuff that keeps us up at night, stuff that raises our blood pressure, stuff that worries us, causes us to fret and fear. We all have bad stuff in our life, but we all have good things in our life. But ultimately, God uses every one of those things for his grand project that he is ruthless about. He will not stop with any of us 
until he conforms us to the image of Christ. That's his grand plan. And if he's for you and not against you, that's what he's about. Everything that touches you. So that doesn't mean I'm an optimistic person. That doesn't mean I'm a pessimistic person. just means I'm a biblical realist. I have hope because I know who controls the universe. And I know that what someone, remember Joseph, his brothers sell him off in slavery to a Midianite group at an oasis, send him down to Egypt, and he's in jail. He does time. Ultimately, he gets out of jail because he could interpret dreams. He rises to the position of prime minister in Egypt, Potiphar's wife notwithstanding. Joseph's life was just horrible in every way. But he does it so that he can save much people alive. If Joseph had not been sold into slavery, had not gone to Egypt, had not gone through everything he went through in Egypt, had he not ascended to the position of prime minister, Israel would have starved to death, that is Jacob's family, and we wouldn't have a redeemer. We wouldn't have a savior. So you think those little, peck of, those little things that are pecking at you and driving you nuts are meaningless? No. You have grand hope. Though you may not be able in our underside perspective down here to see the value of every single thing. And there are days, I must tell you, that I address the Lord and say, I can't see any earthly or heavenly good for me breaking down on the interstate right here, right now, other than for me to vent my spleen. And that's not good usually. <laughs> I mean, I struggle with it just like you do, but I know what the Bible says. And no matter how I feel, no matter how I interpret what is good or what is bad, God is in control and he's working it. He's working it. He's got a plan and he's working it. He's got a plan and he's working it. And I have tremendous hope. So while I haven't enjoyed one second of COVID-19, not one second, it just hasn't been fun. Especially when I had it. It's not fun at all. I didn't like getting the shots. I still don't like to get a shot. Seems like when I went to the health, <laughs> health department in my hometown, every time I got the bad nurse, the one who gave you the shot, and you're going to get pain out of this woman. Her name was Mrs. Walton. I'm sure she's in her eternal destiny at this point because she was an elderly lady then. Every dead gum shot. I got was from that woman. I'm sure that's part of God's plan somewhere that I can't see. But let me say big things happen to us. Horrible things happen to us. Bad health issues happen to us. Just stuff after stuff after stuff. And you've just got to learn to believe the truth that you understood in the light when you walk through the dark places. That's why I read Psalm, I mean Isaiah 43 to you. When you walk through the flood, when you walk through the rivers, when you walk through the fire, I am with you. And what I am with you doing, when you look back on it, will be the greatest thing that you could ever dream or hope for. So, we got a wild-eyed crazy man, Saul, wanting to kill an up-and-coming king, David. By the way... I hate to drop this one on you, but David will end up plotting the same way with Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba.
He'll do exactly what Saul did here. So that just tells me everybody in this book outside of Jesus is a desperate sinner in need of grace. That's what you are, and that's what I am. But we have wonderful hope, profound promises, and that's how we trust God in the bad times as we interpret them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this text. We thank you that it's in the Bible. There's much to learn here, much that shows us Jesus and the sufferings he went through far exceeded any of those that David had, and ultimately he was abandoned by you in order to bear our sins in his body on the tree, to go down and take them into death and conquer them, and rise again and ascend to your right hand where he sits on the throne and will return to take us to himself. Now, Father, as we continue to worship you, may we give as people who are grateful for the way you are and the way you save us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.